This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast with Chef Mary Mamalidi. There are a lot of people who message me and they want to take on the recipes that I do or another recipe that they've seen somewhere or whatever it is, but they never actually getting around to trying. They never actually getting around to making pasta. They never actually get around to baking bread. You know, they never get around to it because they're afraid of what the result might be. They're afraid of failure. We don't go in comfort zones. Make mistakes. If you're a young cook, make the mistake. Just try the beef Wellington and see what happens. There's no losses in this industry. It's all experience. You're constantly banking experience. And that is invaluable. And no one else can give that to you. That's Chef Devin Rajkumar. He's on a mission to create food that modernizes the craft, traditions, and tastes of East and West Indian cuisines. He's an entrepreneur, a food expert on City Line, and appeared as a guest judge on Food Network Canada's Firemasters. Hey, Dev, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I love the introduction. Makes me feel special. But you are special. <laughs> and if you can't tell through my excitement here, I'm so happy that you're here today and that we're chatting. I'm grateful that you're having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I want to know more, more about who Chef Dev is. So at what age did you discover that you had a passion for cooking? I mean, did you know from a very young age that you wanted to be a chef? No, I didn't know that it was a possibility. You know, I didn't know that I could go into the world of cooking. I mean, my dad, very, very successful uh, banker. And, um, you know, medicine, law, business, these are the things that I grew up with, excuse me, as a kid. And um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know I could, I could pursue a path. I didn't know I could get into the field of cooking. It came much later in my life. Uh, In fact, it was like mid 2000s that I started to like, really start studying food and going to restaurants. I started to cook and like do caterings and stuff like that, like cooking for friends, experimenting. I mean, I was experimenting with food since I was a child. No question. Um, Growing up as a kid, my oldest memories are with my grandmother sitting on the floor of her apartment. I must have been like five or six. And she has a a brick and then a larger brick and she's grating coconut. So to make coconut choco, which is another Guyanese spicy condiment. Uh My favorite thing to this day is coconut choco. Um, And even going to uh, the temple that I grew up with as a young kid, before I was probably 10, I was going into the kitchen instead of service to cook, to take these massive boat paddles and stir the dal. Or stir the sweet really? rice, stir the sweet rice or the kier to prevent it from catching, or going to fetch hot peppers, or going to get cumin, or whatever that was. I was in there, so I was always obsessed with food. I was always following my mom around the kitchen. I was always interested in food and cooking. I was big into writing food reviews. Um, I was the person you called uh, to find out where to go eat, what to order. I'm still very much that person, and um, <clears throat> I got to culinary school after bouncing around universities and stuff like that and not had going anywhere, I got to culinary school in 2009 and uh, I got to culinary school and I never looked back. Would you say, who was your biggest inspiration then? Uh, at that time? Oh yeah. My, my mother and my grandmother, but someone who had a really big impact on me and you may see it in the type of work that I do today is Emeril Lagasse. And the reason why I'm saying Emeril Lagasse is because I used to watch him as a kid when I was on television and he sucked me into the television screen. He was so engaging. He was so captivating. He was so cheerful and he was doing live cooking and he made it very exciting. 
So um, Emerald was just, he really, really inspired me. And I wanted to be like Emerald. Um, and uh, I, I have his book here, actually. I think it's out here. I'm at my parents' house. I actually got the book signed. And if I had really? it, yeah, I got it signed. I That's went, wild. Yo, this is crazy that we're talking about this right now. It must be like, I don't know, 20 years ago. I don't know. But this is the book. It's Emerald's TV Dinners. I found out he was coming to Indigo in Richmond Hill. Four hours I waited in line. We z- am I am I talking too much? Like can I can I no okay good <laughs> you go ahead because <laughs> I know you have questions and I'm running off on all these tangents but I think it's important to share the story. Uh, th- the lineup at Indigo to see this dude was zigzagging through every aisle. I believe it. Four hours my mom waited with me because she knew I really wanted to get this autograph. So I get up to the front and I see Emerald right and and he looks tired. Because this guy works hard, right? And this guy's been signing autographs for God knows how many hours and doing photos and all that kind of stuff. And you can see like his hands stiff. Imagine he's signing hundreds, there's maybe thousands, right? Of books. Because he was the, he was top shit at this time, right? He was the man at this time. So so I get up there and they have a sticky note. So they give me the sticky note. There, or the lady's there with the sticky note. She's like, what do you want Emerald to say? What I wrote was kick it up a notch because he used to say that. That's right. He used to yell bam and he used to kick it, kick bam, it up. And he, it, yep. Yeah. And you go, oh, yeah, babe. And you do all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah. so I wrote that down and she's like, it's, she's like, it's too long. He can't write all that. So she scratched, scratched it out and left something. And then I got to him, right? And then he actually wrote it. So he goes, Devin, kick it up a notch. <gasps> That's amazing. So amazing. And, uh, and yeah. So, so this guy was really important for me. Are you up for a couple of games? Uh, Of course. Okay. We're going to start with this or that. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Definitely a morning person. Food on a skewer or on a tiny spoon? Oh, wow. I've had such incredible uh, options for both. But you know what? We got to pick one. I'm going to... Oh, my God. Oh, God. You know, I'm going to go with a spoon. (laughs) Okay. Would you rather be a waiter or a dishwasher? I mean, I dishwash. I dishwash so much. Even at this point in my career, like when I'm doing my shoes, mm-hmm. I'm in the dish pit. Uh, but I would choose waiter because I've been a dishwasher. I, I know how grueling it is. Baked or fried? <sighs> fried. Soup or salad? These are tough. <laughs> because it's summertime, I'll say salad. All right, last one. Fries or onion rings? <sighs> Come on. (laughs) I guess springs is not an option, right? Well, now that we're talking about it, and we're talking about food, you were a child when you started getting into the kitchen. What was the first meal that you remember making, or even dish? Uh, The first thing that I remember making um, was like a type of shepherd's pie. I uh, I don't remember the details about it, to be honest with you, but I do remember it tasting really good. And I was like, wow. So I just remember there was some type of ground lamb or probably ground chicken back then. I was a kid. Ground chicken, uh, seasoned it up. Probably, I think I made it too salty. Uh, I, made, I made so many mistakes throughout my career and I learned, learned from all of them. But yeah, I probably made that filling too salty. I remember my mom had like a, like a loaf pan, like a, like a really small, a really small, a deep pan like a mini loaf pan kind of thing and i remember putting it in there whipped my mashed potatoes and i think i added the mashed potatoes on there and then i ran a fork through it ran the fork through it just to give it uh those that uh, texture the texture exactly thank you yeah and then yeah. i threw them in the toaster i mean that's one of the uh 
that's one of the first things I can re- I can remember. Other things that I remember, a lot of eggs. Mm. Uh, mess. I'm 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 a, I'm a runny egg yolk kind of guy. I'm a sunny side up, or I'm an over easy, or I'm a poached egg kind of guy. Uh, even my scramble, I like my scramble like medium or less. I like it runny, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. raw, not raw if you're listening, but runny, like look wet. You know, so uh, that's the thing with scrambled eggs. A lot of people don't like it too rubbery, but like you cook it to where you want it in the pan and leave it there for a minute or two. And then it just continues to overcook. So, you know, scrambled eggs, as soon as that hits the pan and I move it around a little bit, like it's almost done because I leave it in there for a few minutes while you're getting other things ready. Anyways, digressing again, but. um, No, but that's a great tip because you're saying that you're basically, correct me if I'm wrong, you're saying put your scrambled eggs in the pan, get them to a certain consistency. If you want more, just turn off the heat. If you want more, let it sit there for a couple of seconds and it'll kind of heat, uh, you know, Firm up a little bit. Almost. And you, can, any, you can gauge it. Almost with anything, in my opinion, you know, except for something very technical, like a specific type of dessert or something. But let, let's, let, I mean, almost anything in terms of like, you're cooking a steak, you're cooking yeah. chicken, you're cooking carrots. You almost always want to undercook it, in my opinion. And it's very, yeah. very, uh, it's a very small window. I mean, because there's carryover cooking, all these things that we cook and we introduce heat into the mix. Um, you know, the carryover cooking will come. So like, let's say we cook a chicken breast on the barbecue there to 160. Well, guess what? By the time you go to eat it, it's going to probably be closer to 170. So do you want to cook it to 160 or 155? You know, do you want to cook that steak to 120? If you want to be eating it at 120 to 125, probably not. Do you have a little tip or a little trick or a little hack in the kitchen that that would help the beginner cook? thousand percent. You ready? Yes. Make mistakes. (laughs) Love it. There are a lot of people who message me and they want to take on the recipes that I do or another recipe that they've seen somewhere or whatever it is, but they never actually getting around to trying it. They never Mm -hmm. actually getting around to making pasta. They never actually get around to baking bread. They never actually get around to finally brunoising a carrot. You know, they never get around to it because they're afraid of what the result might be. They're afraid of failure. I've always jumped off into the deep end. Like I said it before, we don't grow in comfort zones. Make mistakes. If you're a young cook, make the mistake. Just try the beef Wellington and see what happens. You know what I mean? Just try the creme brulee and see what happens. There are no losses in this. You know, even the competitions that I used to, I used to compete all the time. All the, and I ran the chef battle league in Toronto for many years. The underground chef cartel and chef collective, I did them all, right? You know, as a host and as a competitor. And I mean, there's no losses in this industry. It's all experience. If you screw up sewer, as I like to say, that creme brulee, there's a reason why that will happen. And then you adjust it the next time. You're constantly banking experience. And that is invaluable. And no one else can give that to you. You have to go through it. So I think it's better to try searing the perfect steak 20 times instead of trying to do it once and nailing it perfectly. I'm Mary Mammoliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm talking with chef, entrepreneur, and TV personality, Devin Rajkumar. Obviously, love food and cooking, but I also know that you love traveling. Oh, and wow. You deci- right, and you decided to merge these two passions, and you began your very first food tour. How many years back? 2016, I did six months. Okay, tell me about this. Tell me, why did you decide to go on this journey? So yeah, I, I was in culinary. I got out of culinary in 2010. I started working with Food Dudes 2010. 
2012, 2012 to 2014, I was at the Lux studio doing live demos, um, which was an amazing, amazing opportunity. 2014, I started City Line. I'm still filming City Line all these years later. Uh, 2015, I started working at OMA, opened up a food dudes a restaurant with the food dudes with Matt Blondin and Andrew Wilson, two incredibly, insanely talented chefs. And then 2016, I leave on six months. I knew I had to learn more. I knew I had to, I, I knew there was no risk, no reward. I knew that, I knew without knowing the way I know now that I won't grow in comfort zones. You know, I needed to experience other cultures, uh, other people, other languages, other flavors. You know, in India, every hundred kilometers you travel, the, the, the menu changes, the local ingredients change. It's wild to think about. I knew there was so much more waiting for me out there. And I knew I needed more experience overall. I went to India for a month, had no real plan ended up meeting cookbook authors and, and chefs and cooking all, all over the place and just learning and eating. I went to Dubai for a month. I went to London for a month, met an incredible chef uh, out there and did a pop-up with him. And he let me pop up with him at Borough Market, which I did a couple of years ago again, which is like London's Borough Market. It's like my favorite place, in the, one of my favorite places in the world. Um, I cooked for a month in Peru. You know, I spent, I spent, I spent uh, a couple of weeks working at a cevicheria you know, in Surco, in, in Peru, and, and learning all about the ingredients over there. I mean, um, it was just such an incredible experience for me. Um, I was completely broke. In fact, when I got towards the end and got to Peru, I was couch surfing. Did you have a plan or was it one of those things where no plan, just I want to go to these places, that's where you're going to go, and then you'll figure it out when you get there? As I was kind of planning this and getting there, I was reaching out to people out there. But for the most part, when I hit the ground, I was kind of just on my own, but I always had something to do because it was all about food for me. I would meet people and just talk about food. Most people love food, you know, and then of course there was a lot of sightseeing involved, meeting friends, exploring things with them, you know, gaining new experiences, learning about traditions and cultures, learning about the religion there, whatever that might look like. You know, I mean, when I was in India, it took several hours to reach certain destinations. So there was there was always something to do, man. but it was a lot of eating. <laughs> what are some of your favorite meals that you've either created or had in some of these destinations? Yeah. So I remember the first ceviche that uh, the owner of La Picada um, Cevicheria in Surco, I remember the ceviche that he made for me um, with the leche de tigre, with tiger's milk. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. The one that he, the owner, made for me was just uh, opened my eyes because I had had several ceviches prior to getting to his restaurant. But then when he made it in front of me and made it for me, you know, he tasted it two or three times. Uh, very, He makes it so fast and tasted it two or three times. I mean, I never knew those flavors could exist. I had no idea that that was possible. I mean, throughout India, almost everything I ate was absolutely incredible. But uh this is, yeah, this is 2016, you know, in Dubai as well. I had amazing, it was a month in Dubai. I uh, had a bunch of friends out there and I was actually cooking on a yacht in Dubai. Uh, and, and, and and there was like a, a segment filmed uh, using sand truffles. My buddy was a truffle dealer from Toronto who repositioned himself in Dubai. His name is Rami. So anybody okay. from Toronto would know Rami truffles, Ramelli truffles. So yeah, we were out there. I was cooking on a yacht. It was filmed. It went on television out there and stuff. And um, this is the kind of stuff that happened. Like this is the networking and I still have, I have photos from this. Like I'm sitting on the floor, it's like a bunch of shakes around and they're like, they're, they're selling sand truffles. And then I'm taking these truffles and making dishes with them. 
So that was a really cool thing. But one of the best things I ate in Dubai was a Gujarati thali. Same thing in India, a Gujarati thali. So Gujarati food is all vegetarian. And the thalis are a really beautiful thing where you have a thali in front of you. And then multiple people come with multiple offerings and they just ladle it or spoon it onto your plate. So it's a, it's a really exciting thing. A guju thali, if you've never had one, you should definitely want to find one. Uh, but those are just a few things that there's just a million more other things. But that's just a few things off the top of my head. What's in a guju thali? Am I What's saying that Guju, Gujarati, Gujarati. Gujarati, okay. Gujarati. Yeah, no, there will be different types of curries, different types of rices and starches. And uh, there's sweets at the ends. I mean, it's all vegetarian. There could be up to 20 different items. You know, it's, it's, oh it's, like, it's like here, if you go to, <clears throat> excuse me, an Indian restaurant and you get a thali, you know, you'll have your rice, you'll have some yep. type of sabji curry in there. Um, you know, you'll have raita, you'll have some salad, kachumber salad, et cetera, et cetera. A uh, piece of, uh, you know, a piece of roti or something might be in there, a piece of naan. Typically it's, it's, it's usually just rice and stuff like that, but it's just, it's just, it's a whole, it's a smorgasbord. Oh my God. It sounds so good. Well, I mean, was there anything in particular that stood out or what did you take away from this experience? Oh, I mean, I get asked this question all the time and the answer doesn't change for me that I didn't know as much as I thought I knew about food. I thought I'm heading on this trip. I've been studying food for all these years now. I've graduated. I've been working in the industry. I've done really exciting events. I've done a bunch of television. I've done so many caterings. You know, I've done this, I've done that, blah, blah, blah. Like, I know I got to learn and get more experience, but I got, I got a pretty good start. And then you get over there and then you realize that, man, all of this exists this entire world of food exists like i thought i knew indian food really well and i'm going to india and it's like i've never heard of this dish before i've never seen this ingredient before same thing in peru peru's got like seven thousand different types of potatoes it's absolutely mind-blowing the cuisine that's going on over there not to mention the different altitudes like depending on where you are the, the food is just changing it's completely different all the time um, same thing in London. London was also a beautiful experience for me because it was it's a melting pot, right? There's so many different cultures and stuff over there. Mm-hmm. Also, the Indian food over there is bananas as well. I've heard that. You're the second person, no, the third now to tell me that. Wild. There's Brick Lane, which a lot of people might turn their nose up at, but Brick Lane is an entire area where like there's a lot of Indian food. But I went to a restaurant called Jim Khanna, like G-Y-M Khanna, K-H-A-N-A, one-star Michelin Indian food, bananas. Dishoom in Covent Garden, bananas. I still remember the the gunpowder potatoes. Like that was that was an excellent place to go to. <clears throat> but um, but yeah, there's just uh, there's so much amazing food all over the place, and and yeah, I was just constantly learning. Coming back, I felt more energized and more inspired to dig deeper into into food, I, and I needed that. And then you know what's really interesting is that trip in 2016 kind of catapulted me on this like international chef thing. Before you know it. I'm flying regularly to Turks and Caicos. You know, I'm, I'm being flown out to Scotland to do menu development for a couple of months. Um, you know, I'm just I'm traveling to India to cook, traveling to Pakistan, going back to Pakistan for a whole month in November. You know, like all these things start popping up out of nowhere. And it's uh, I'm very grateful because because it's something that I work towards and something that I wanted and something that no one would do for me. I have to go out there and get it. So what's the next destination on your food bucket list? Southeast Asia. I've done none of it. Okay. Like Laos, uh, like the, like like Cambodia, Thailand, uh, Singapore, all of it. I, I've done none of it. Okay. Rapid fire. We're going to do a couple of them. 
Are you ready for it? Let's go. What chef do you want to battle in a chef showdown? Chef Ludo. Ludo Lefebvre. I love this guy. Superstar French cook. Trained under uh-huh. all the monsters in France. I admire him so much. So I'd love to just, like, compete against him. But it's all love. What are the last three things you've had to eat? Uh, I had a bowl of Nature's Path gluten-free organic cereal with almond cashew milk. Last night we had Peking duck, Cantonese noodles, snow peas looking mushroom, Sichuan spicy shrimp. I really enjoyed that myself. Prior to that, I would have had lunch and I had Nando's. I actually posted that to the brand. It was succulent and juicy and it deserved a post. Okay, and if you could save one thing from your kitchen in a fire, what would it be? My knife roll. Without a doubt, it's taking years to put that together. I can't slay without that thing. What's your junk food kryptonite? Salt and vinegar chips, coffee crisps, sour keys. Uh... Chips, chips number one. <laughs> Justin Timberlake brought sexy back. What would you bring back? Uh... <laughs> Passion. Nice, good answer. I ask every guest to share a kitchen confession. What yeah. is your kitchen confession? <laughs> I got a lot, but I'll give you one. <laughs> I'm working at the Lux Appliance Studio. This is a studio, a multi-million dollar showroom that houses Bosch, Thermador, and Gagano appliances. So we have, I don't want to say lower end, but we have like entry tier level, mid tier, high tier. Gagano really has no competition on the market. So to be in a place where I was able to demo Thermador, Gagano, Bosch, I mean, I'm talking induction cooktops, you know, I was cooking, 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 cooking these ranges that cost 20 grand back then. I mean, it was, it was just, I was a kid in a candy store. And that really was another part of my story from 2012 to 2014, being the executive chef there, a title that I had no business uh, having at the time. But I mean, that helped me with my live demonstration skills. <clears throat> I was cooking, I was cooking and, and, and demoing and selling people on those appliances. Right. But I'm doing a demo. Uh, I was auctioned off at Toronto Taste, Taste Toronto or whatever it was. I was auctioned off for a bunch of money. And uh, this gentleman who, who, bought, who bought it, it's like a dinner with me at the showroom for eight guests. So I, I bought Wagyu and I bought scallops and I had really, really crab. I had really, really expensive ingredients. I believe I had caviar and truffles too. So I, I was going all out. There is one part of the demo where I'm making a chimichurri and I'm chopping and not looking. But a lot of people that watch me cook, I'm often not looking because I'm talking to the camera or I'm looking away. But we know when we, we make a claw, it's important to keep that pinky finger and that thumb tucked behind these fingers up front, right? But what happened was, is that I had a bunch of parsley in my hand. So with the parsley, you tend to want to kind of pinch it and that thumb kind of sticks out, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the thumb, instead of me sticking to the claw but i also thought i was hot shit, you know i'm like this exact I'm, <laughs> i love that you're saying this okay, yeah go. <laughs> I, I, I know I, I i've been on like a serious path these years of like humility and stuff like that and and, and in many ways i'm a different person but back then like mid 20 like 20 2014 whatever it was i thought i was hot shit. i got executive <laughs> chef on my chest i'm in this fancy showroom and it's like it's so expensive <laughs> these people are here coming to eat my food and I'm there chopping away. And I think the knife was a bit dull as well. But anyways, I'm chopping, 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 and boom, cut off the, the top of my thumb. And I mean, it, it wasn't terrible. I cut that, that little flap there clean off, right? Like clean off this, this piece there. And the problem with that- Right at the tip. Ooh. Yeah, right, right, right on the side. But when it started bleeding, 
it didn't stop. Good God. So I'm chopping, 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 and boom, I kind of felt the nail and stuff too, right? So I felt it. And I was like, I was like, oh God. And then someone watching me, I think it was the wife of the of the man. She's like, she knew something was wrong, I think, right? So I'm like, hey, I'll be right back. We gotta run to the back. I go to the back, one of the servers comes, she said, What's wrong? I'm like, I cut my finger. She's like, Oh shit. I'm like, where are the black gloves? There are no black gloves. So I'm back there for like 10 minutes. We came out. We couldn't use that parsley that I was chopping for the chimichurri. I guess it was for a steak. Um, and I had a black towel pressed on my thumb. And then I pressed it with my fingers and I wrapped it around and clamped it. So I walked out with like a towel, a black towel where you couldn't see the blood. Uh, eventually, towards the end of the demonstration, I was actually like done a lot of it by then. It stopped bleeding and I was able to like wash my hand and take that off. But I was hurt, though. You know, like my my like my finger was hurt. My ego was hurt and which like, hurt Man. more the finger or the ego oh the ego i could have cut my thumb clean off and then my ego would have hurt more at that time you know right right which is why which is which is like i've learned so much i've grown a lot in this industry and i've grown as a human and a person over these years and that's why i, I preach like make mistakes be vulnerable you know let people know how you really really feel don't try to be something don't try to be something or someone for someone else. I mean, like, just try to be your true authentic self. I say all this now, but I didn't have the clarity. Like I've been on a spiritual journey recently. I'm over like a year sober. I'm like 15 months continuous sobriety. I'm working a spiritual Congratulations. program. Thank you so much. I'm yes. working a spiritual program and I'm trying to be a better person. I have a lot of people following me these days and I want to set a better example and be a better role model, a better inspiration to people out there. And um, back then though, you know, I was, I was really caught up in my own head. I thought I was the center of the universe kind of thing like that. And uh, the way that I'm speaking today about kitchen confessions and like making mistakes and all these, I would have never said that back then. You know, I was afraid to ask questions back then. So yeah, I cut my thumb there and um, <clears throat> they knew something was wrong and it was super embarrassing. My ego was crushed that night, but learnings from that is to always pay attention to what you're doing. You know, talk that thumb in. Oh, I'm just tuck teasing. The thumb in. I'm no, just no, no, teasing. no, no, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. It. Yeah, kitchen confessions. I'm so glad you shared that. Honestly, it's just so we don't, like you said, don't take yourself too seriously. Yes. So, if listeners want to reach out for more information, get in touch with you, connect with you, how can they find you? Yep. So I'm really easy to get a hold of. So at Chef Devin. That's D E V A N. So at Chef Devin on. Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter. Then you have Chef Devin Rajkumar, Rajkumar on Facebook, www.chefdev.ca. Really easy to get a hold of. I respond to all DMs while I can. Um, info at chefdev.ca. And uh, yeah, I'm Googleable. I'm an easy guy to reach. I get back to everybody always. He does. He does. I can vouch for that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. You are honestly just such a joy to talk to. Full a... of knowledge and information and honestly inspiring. You you got me ready to go back into the kitchen, go make something now. Even though I have to go grocery shopping, I'll try and find something in my kitchen. <laughs> well, you inspire me as well. I'm grateful. I'm honored that you selected me to be on here. And uh, I would love to do it again. It's been a slice. It's that time. We've reached the end of another show. Did we get your stomach growling? Head over to kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. 
Plus, you can check out ami.ca forward slash kitchen confession for all the latest on the podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and review so we can keep bringing you more episodes you'll love. Our producer and editor is Matt Agnew, and I'm your host, Mary Mammolini. Thanks for listening.